Welcome, welcome everyone. Today is a extra special, special episode because it is personal to my heart from being a mama, a grandmama, all the things, as well as a professional in the space. We have to make sure that we are making room for the people who can't advocate for themselves. So today I'm talking about the little people. Most of you, whether you have biologically shared space with a little person or you happen to be an auntie, an uncle, a sibling, or just a really powerful, very in tune neighbor that's paying attention to what's going on in your neighborhood, we have connection with little people. For me, little people are anyone who's under 13, 14 years old. And of course, for some of you, you can include the older ones, like my kids are 21 and 26 and parents right now. But, <laughs> but the little people that they have are the grandbabies. And all of them are precious and pure joy, whether we are in alignment with what's going on in their bodies and their minds and their spirits or not. We have to recognize that they need protection because they are too young to protect themselves in the way that we could in our 30s, 40s and 50s and beyond. So today, I wanted to highlight this very special human who is being brave in so many ways. We're going to use her pseudonym, which is the pen name she uses for her book, Kayla Taylor. She is phenomenal in what she is doing. She is walking the walk in so many ways as a parent, as someone who's advocating and someone who had to navigate trials and tribulations that went along with fighting upstream like a salmon trying to push up when no one seems to understand how important it is to advocate for the people that matter most to you, which for many of us are the little people who can't protect themselves, like I said. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the book that she wrote before I introduce her officially. Canaries Among Us. It's a true story about a little girl with beautiful differences in how she sees the world, being bullied at an elite private school. The author, who you'll get to know in a minute, Kayla Taylor, she's sitting down today to have this powerful conversation to talk about the trials and triumphs of advocating while simultaneously journeying to understand herself, her daughter, and the broken system that fails at protecting all of our children. Kayla, welcome to the BBP. How are you this afternoon? Wow, Nikita. Thank you so, so much. I'm well and especially well after that very kind intro. Thank you. You are welcome. I know that your brain is probably on fire with so much energy. <laughs> <laughs> I right? have a little passion around this issue, these issues. Yes. Yes, especially. And I know you do too. Definitely. And I want to, you know, have a moment and have you share like what made you stand in your own bravery and share this story with the world? Because you get, you get deep in this book. Like you really go in and tell the truth. I try. I it, This whole process was a very vulnerable process. But you calling me brave um, is generous because I didn't feel too brave for a while. To be honest, mm. for many years, I was buckled down supporting my kids who were dealing with learning differences, anxiety, and bullying. Yeah. And when I tried to get help, I felt all alone um, and isolated. So often when I tried to get people to understand what was going on to support me, I was told I was being a, a helicopter or overindulgent. Mm. So the whole experience was extremely isolating. And I honestly felt like I went into a bit of a, I call it a deep, dark hole where I was all by myself. Yeah. And the one thing I found that helped me was journaling. Um, because people can negate you to your face and gaslight you, which can be, it can be very mind bending. You start 
doubting your own credibility. But when you write down what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and what you're learning, for me, it became very tangible. You know, it's hard to dismiss something that is proof right there in front of you. It's physical. So for me, it was a very personal, isolating process. Um, And then as I got my children to a better spot, I started looking around and realizing how many other families are dealing with these issues. Mm -hmm. So 20 to 30% of kids are estimated to be bullied. Learning differences affect at least one out of every five children. Um, and anxiety before the pandemic uh, was expected to affect one third of all adolescents. Now you can imagine that number has only skyrocketed since then. Absolutely. So when you put all these numbers on top of each other, um, it means most families are challenged, but they're not talking about it. And they're not talking about it because they're highly stigmatized. And so as I got myself to a better place, as I was suggesting, I looked around and saw that I was climbing out of this deep, dark cave. But in fact, I wasn't alone. I saw all these other families in their own deep, dark caves, but they were right next to each other, feeling isolated. And so I wanted to offer this story uh, so that they could know that they weren't alone. Yeah, absolutely. I hear, I'm very visual, and I hear you literally painting the picture of someone who's on a boat and pushing, like paddling with their hands and trying and realizing like, I don't have to do this with my hands anymore. There are tools that I can use, which some of them I'm sure you found along that rabbit hole. I did. Um, right. Mm-hmm. And some really great people, I hope, along the way, even though there was a lot of people who were not helping you. Right. Move that boat along. Um, I know when I was reading the book, I was very touched. Uh, and you use uh, another, you know, kind of character name to just protect everyone's privacy where you talk about in the book, your daughter, Hannah, mm-hmm. um, and just realizing there were people who were, who were there, who were trying to give you tools and techniques, but the teachers in the school weren't implementing because to your point, they were like, Oh, you're being a helicopter parent. These techniques that you're telling us to do, these are distractive toys that you know, the other kids are being distracted by, even though they were specifically created to help uh, the character Hannah and the book to really be able to be comforted and to be strengthened in the process of them not understanding all that was going on. Because ultimately she was neurodivergent, which I don't think from what you wrote, they didn't seem to have a lot of expertise in, which definitely didn't help. (laughs) Right, right. So there, to be clear, there were a few teachers who are highly compassionate. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think most teachers, you know, want to do well by children. What I found, though, in my research and personal experience is that unfortunately, though, um, teachers aren't given the information and resources and understanding in their own training to be able yeah. to support children who, who are neurodivergent. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's actually a really great study called Forward Together uh, that was produced by Understood and NCLD um, that surveyed a lot of teachers. And it showed most of them, of course, they're underpaid, of but course. also they're under-resourced. <laughs> so only 17% of teachers feel very well prepared to teach students with mild to moderate learning differences. And that's just mild to moderate learning differences. Um, most feel under, overwhelmed and unsupported. So it became apparent to me that we need better graduate school programs and curriculums and accredi- state accreditation processes to really give the teachers the tools they need. Um, because when you don't have the information you need, 
it's just so much easier to judge people. So one in three teachers and probably parents too view learning differences or attention issues as laziness in children. Mm -hmm. Um, One in four teachers believe learning differences can be outgrown versus, uh, you know, it, it, children's brains are literally wired differently. All of our brains are wired differently, right? Absolutely. Um, and so we need to acknowledge that in order to be able to, to teach to the, to the diversity of children that are in our classrooms. One in four also believe ADD and ADHD is a result of bad parenting. So mm. it ends up, there ends up being a lot of judgment all the way around. Yeah. And mostly it's from ignorance. I, I, I really truly believe it, it's not from ill will. I think people who know better do better. So I'm hopeful that we as a society can uh, do what we need to do to become more understanding and compassionate ourselves, but also to supply the people who are in touch with our children the most, the tools they need to help our children. Yeah. A thousand percent. You, you do a great job of linking bullying, learning differences, and mental health. All like it's woven all throughout (laughs) the the book, which is a true story. And I can't say that enough for everyone who is going to pick up this book (laughs) from hearing this podcast. Uh, And I don't think a lot of people understand that although one doesn't necessarily have to promote the other thing in happening, there is a strong link between them. When you think about the children, just think about yourselves for all the listeners that are listening, those ambitious women and those brave men. Remember yourself in third, fourth, fifth grade, which are the years where everything sets in for with bullying is going to happen. It typically happens then, right? And think about when you were trying to give someone a cookie and they didn't want to accept it. And then all of a sudden you were ostracized, which is that non non-physical bullying, when people do social isolation and Mm -hmm. you're no longer able to sit at the cool kids table or, you know, whatever is going on. And of course it gets worse when you get into seventh and eighth grade and on and on and on as it goes. But then you also think about that kid and everybody knows that kid. If you really go back to your early childhood days, you know, that kid that just seemed really different. They didn't do anything um, ultra odd that was like hurting other people or anything like that. They just seem different. They painted different. They read different. They spoke different. They communicated different. And for me personally, as a, what my kid, my grandkids call me G Bunny. So as a G Bunny, <laughs> <That's adorable. laughs> thank you. Of, you know, two kids who are on the ASD spectrum, um, very significantly and fairly nonverbal. They're just starting to mimic language and really lean into music more than anything. It's a, a huge challenge when you have a kid who is different, who's beautiful and has such a great perspective of things, but other people, usually it's not the kids. Usually it's the adults surrounding those kids at home and in their personal non-education, non-school lives that typically make them feel like they shouldn't play with those other kids. And that's where a lot of that gets set in. It's lear- it's social learned behavior ultimately. And when you think of those kids, when you yourself were young, like put yourself in the shoes back in the day. Cause I, I know I can think of, I can think of some names. I just won't call them out. Right. <laughs> I can think of some very specific people right. who were different. 
And I embraced the difference. Like I literally was like, oh, they're weird and I like it. And then I realized how weird I was and I liked it. Well, so I started at a really early age rejecting normal. Well, good I for felt, you. I don't know that that's that common. And to be honest, I don't, it's not, I don't think I was that good of a person. Oh, um, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest, <laughs> yes, of course, of course, which, and this is all about being honest here, right? Yeah. I, I was not someone I hope who targeted people, but looking back, I saw people targeted and I wish I had done more to stand up for them. So good for you. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it was really because I was a weird kid, right? Like that's, that's, that's part I of it. I have a hard it's, time believing that or weird in all the best ways. In, in all the best ways. And that's literally, I'm like, normal is, isn't necessary. Like I reject it's no normal. Fun. It's no fun. Mm -hmm. And you did a great job, Kayla, of, of really bringing in this metaphor, I'll say, about canaries. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of who are the canaries in our life. So I would love for you to talk, you know, a few minutes about like why why you chose canaries among us. And of course you allude to it in the book, but I don't want to give it away. So that's okay. I'll give it away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so early in my journey, I realized my child is highly sensitive and I'm guessing you given your studies have, have studied this trait. Um, yeah. Many scientists have like Elaine Aaron. So highly sensitive people tend to be more in tune with their environments and more aware of sensory sim stimuli like sights and smells and touches. A common analogy that that is used is the canary in the coal mines. Mm -hmm. So many years ago, miners would take canaries down into the coal mines, um, not just for their beautiful song, but because they had an extra special ability to sense toxins in the air. So when canaries stopped singing, the miners knew that they needed to flee the mine or they would likely be poisoned by carbon monoxide. And I love this analogy, not the thought of uh, miners dying. Actually, in this right. case, they were being saved. But I love the fact that a special sense uh, really was seen as an attribute. Because unfortunately mm -hmm. today, high sensitivity is frowned upon. People mm -hmm. are often considered weak or overly emotional or even pathetic. But I really, truly believe we should be appreciating and celebrating the wide diversity of people. Because, um, I mean... <laughs> in and of themselves, they're worthy, but also they contribute to our lives. So if you want to be selfish about it, we would benefit by appreciating people's differences. And as I continued writing, you know, I, I started with this idea of the highly sensitive person. But for me, the idea of a canary morphed to encapsulate the wide variety of children who think and learn differently, just the neurodiverse mm -hmm. in, in general. So for example, Dyslexics. Um, children who are dyslexic, yes, they have a harder time reading. But if we focus just on that, we miss so much about them. Mm -hmm. Of course, every child with dyslexia, every adult with dyslexia is unique, and it would be a mistake to assume they're all the same. But it has been shown that people with dyslexia, on average, have wider visual perceptions. Um, and that might be one of the things that makes reading more difficult. But these people also are frequently able to notice the bigger picture. They're able yeah. to connect dots between disparate ideas. Um, one of my ch children um, has dyslexia, and you just wouldn't believe the creativity coming out of this mind. It's, mm. it's amazing. So my hope is that not only do I identify the canaries among us because they are everywhere, but also appreciate and celebrate them. They're gorgeous and they're beautiful, and we benefit by having them around. Absolutely. Well said. That's a mic drop. <laughs> well, don't do that. You have so much to say, but thank you. Thank you. 
No, I love it. And listen, I, this is all about you and the great work that you're doing. So I'm totally intentionally selfish about bragging on you right now. Okay. Well, Nikita, <laughs> I actually believe it's not all about me. We're never going to solve these problems um, if we don't come in community, come into community True. and work together. And you are creating True. a platform to do this. So I thank you profusely. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you. So I have one more question for you, Kayla, because you've been doing a lot of great work. I mean, the research in and of itself, the way that you were able to layer it in, weave it into a very natural storytelling abilities. I don't know. Have you written before? Which is I have quick- not. It's, it's funny. You know, my background is in business and strategy and finance. Ah. I never got a master's of fine arts in anything. <laughs> so I don't wow. think I wrote a paper longer than 20 pages in either college or grad school. So I never thought of myself as a writer. Um, but I had this experience that rocked my family's world. And I dealt with it by just bleeding onto paper. It was a catharsis for me. Um, And then after a while, as I mentioned, I started looking around and realizing so many other families were going through this experience. Mm -hmm. So uh, this was not a deliberate act. This was not an intentional act, this writing. Uh, It was more born of passion. And then, um, yes, what you said, I, I wanted... Actually, it was a friend who said, because I first started... Uh, my initial idea was just to have chapters with all the research, uh, mm-hmm. sifting through it and just presenting it. Um, you know, and, and instead of, you know, a lot of self-help books are 400 pages and really you'll need five pages to get through it. I was going to do exactly. five page chapters of all these different topics. Uh, but a friend said, no, I am so tired of self-help books. She said, I need a story to care. Mm-hmm. And this is a very caring person. So for her to say that made me realize, okay, I am naturally a pretty private person, but, um, I will do my best to sit in it again and um, morph my journal so that other families can, can know they're not alone. There are, there's such a duality in what you just shared. And I honor you for taking, taking a moment and sharing what was going on behind the scenes with you as well. So thank you for that. Sure. But the duality that I'm hearing is both, you know, the work, like you, you had to, you had to get to this work. You had to figure out how you could help your daughter to navigate the, the systems to weed through the bureaucracy, like all the, the challenges that you were coming up against just as a parent mm-hmm. trying to make things better for her child, right? Mm -hmm. There was that part. There was the research that you used to back it up. There was the diving deeper into that dark hole, as you called it, Mm -hmm. where you're linking and figuring out that there's such a link between bullying and learning differences and mental health and there's all that. But on the other side, now this is my ambitious women in business side, right? On the other side of it, you were discovering you in this process as well. There was this hidden gift, I dare say, that you probably didn't, to your point, know that it really existed outside of doing, you know, papers and research and uh, pitch decks and whatever else that you had to do and learning that there was something else underneath of that, which is pretty powerful, Kayla. So I'm somewhat bloomed, blown away that you said this because no one else has really identified this for me, but but it's clicking. I, I hear you. Um, mm-hmm. Historically, I have solved problems by buckling down, not being emotional in researching. And that's what I did mm-hmm. for my children. Um, yeah. But through the process, actually, can I tell you something else be- behind the scenes? A yes. friend of mine read some early journal entries and was encouraging me to morph this into a book. And um, she read some of the initial chapters and she said, I can't believe I'm sharing this with you, but she said, 
this, she said, you know, Hannah is the true heroine here, which I mm-hmm. agree with completely. The child who was dealing with all, uh, all the targeted acts, but she said, um, you come across as a t- tragic hero. <laughs> and I thought, oh, wow. And she said, you have done more research than the people you're dealing with. You have more facts, but yet you can't, you, you seem stuck. You're not getting anything done. And you actually, in your writing, you don't seem to trust your voice. You seem to be waving in so much research to prove you're not crazy. Mm. And I thought, oh, Wow. Wow. Yeah, that I probably am doing that. So future uh, edits of the book, future uh, revisions, actually, I tried to trust myself for. I tried to trust my knowing. Yes, yeah. I know underneath I'm backed by the research, but I tried right. to let more of my internal experience and knowing and understanding come through so that I wouldn't be so tragic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> which, which is always helpful right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> when we're trying. But I, so I read and felt as an empath, the vulnerability. So I don't know how many edits it took for you to, to dig in, right? And, and release that, but I saw it oh. and I felt it. Well, thank you. So, you know, it's interesting you. because, you know, for example, there is a mention in this book, how, how low of a deep, dark place I got in. Um, mm-hmm. And I had some editors want to strip that out. And I, I understood, you know, the logic was, oh, it's too hard. It'll turn people off. It's messy. It's, you know, it's depressing or it's sad. But I thought, but mm-hmm. yes, and parents are really going through this. And if That's we're right. going to be honest about what's happening, um, I feel like I have an obligation to share that I'm not some, you know, immune person on a pedestal. I, right. I too really, really got in a deep, dark place. Um, and so I shared that d- d- against editor's wishes. <laughs> yeah. And, and I appreciate your rebelliousness right? <laughs> because Thank you. that, you know, g- girls don't typically get things done. The rebellious women win. And you gave something to me that I could connect to because as someone who reads, you know, somewhere between 15, 80 books a oh, year, wow. I can tell you, it's, it's exhausting when people aren't vulnerable because that's what I, that's what I connect to. That's the thing that leaves the imprint in me. That's what will forever make me remember Hannah's story, right? And outside of, you know, all the stats and logos and all the things, mm-hmm. it was, this was a real person. Mm-hmm. This is a real human. And his mother was really raw and beautiful and brilliant and showed you how she was breaking down along the process and not being perfect, which is what real potent humans, as I call them, really need to to hear and connect to because it moves them to change. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I I really appreciate your support. uh, support. Even, you know, I've been through Mm. this process and still having people honor my truth and validating what I went through. I I think we all need that. And people who go through really difficult situations are often negated out of the box. I talk about that too in the book, as you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So, even to this day, hearing someone validate my experience and how I feel and believe is meaningful. So thank you. Oh, you're so awesome. So one last question that, you know, we ask all the experts here on the BBP, mm-hmm. when you're not out here doing all the great work that you're doing to advocate and to get this message across, to really leave an imprint in the world, how are you, Kayla, giving yourself permission to pause? 
I'll be honest, the past few years have not been a huge pause. So, um, you know, I went through the experience with my kids and it's, that journey is never done. But then I got to a point where I could write this book and get it out in the world. And that is hugely time consuming. But I am looking forward to now really just giving myself permission to just be. Uh, one yes. of the things I have done, uh, but not enough of which I plan to do more, is hiking and walking. Uh, I think you have a background in understanding in trauma. So you've read yeah. books like Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score and What Happened to You by mm-hmm. Bruce Perry, which I, I recommend them both highly. Um, and they talk about how just, uh, A, making art. And so for me, this writing, I guess, would qualify. But B, even just using your physical body to express yourself and um, even just the repetitive motion of putting one foot in front of it, the other on a pretty trail is very therapeutic for me. So I, I have carved out time to do that and I intend to do that even more. Yeah, I can tell you that there's without getting into the science of it, there's so many benefits of you being outside and walking. So yes, <laughs> and enjoy releasing all the things that were trapped in your body because it will be one of the most personal, beautiful experiences that you will have given yourself. I hope so. What do you do? When I'm not taking self-lovecations is what I call them. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> when I'm not doing that, I love baths. Oh. Baths are like sacred mm-hmm. for me, honestly. And it's like whole things, peppermint oil in my water, like, it's whole, you know, candles, mm-hmm. all of it, rose petals. Um, I love rebounding, honestly. That's like my go-to when I just, you know, have a full day and I got that energy trapped in my body and I need to release it. I... I keep sacred space. Like that's a huge part of what I do for work. So absorbing so much from other people, mm-hmm. I need to release mm-hmm. it so it doesn't get trapped inside mm-hmm. of me and maybe trigger my own stuff mm-hmm. that I have. So rebounding on a, like a little mini trampoline for two to 20 Again, minutes. Again, physical is, repetitive motion. It, yes. I get it. It's, it's amazing. It um, and it's a good workout too. Like, <laughs> you know, I tried the back myself because so many people love that. And in, for me, I just sat there in the water and my mind stewed. It could not still. So I think that yeah. speaks to the fact that, you know, we are all individuals and we each need to yes. find and honor our own way of releasing. And as you say, giving yeah. ourselves permission to pause. A thousand percent. We're all weird and different and we should embrace Absolutely. it. I love it. <laughs> Kayla, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and joining the BBP and sharing your story. Where is the book available today? The book is available in pretty much any of your favorite stores, uh, all the places you like to shop for books. But I will do a plug for independent bookstores like bookshop.org. And if you'd like some more information, uh, I have a website at kaylataylorwrites.com. I love that. I won't even pick on you about the fact that it's Kayla Taylor writes, 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 writes. I won't even pick on you about that. <laughs> How would you have picked on me? What would you have said? Just the fact that you're your official writer now. Oh, like you're, I know. Like you've, well, you know, you've tapped I, in. So the problem is Kayla Taylor was taken. Um, so yeah, I, I'm still getting used to thinking of myself as a writer. Uh, but I, I guess as I look back and I'm holding this heart, this bound copy in my hand, it's it's hard to deny anymore. It is. It's beautiful. It's well illustrated. It's well written. And you, my love, are definitely an author. Oh, thanks, Nikita. Thanks for all you do. <laughs> Thank you. 
Balance Bowley listeners, I told you that this was a special episode that is very near and dear to my heart for so many reasons. And if you've been following the BBP, you've heard me share all the things that my kids are probably mortified that I keep sharing to help other people speak their truth and live it. But there are so many ways for us to protect the little people and to make sure that they grow into adults that we actually want to work with and to work on us because they will be the doctors, the nurses, the lawyers, the CEOs, the engineers and everything in between. So we got to get it right. We have to get it right. To Kayla's point, we have to support the teachers that are overwhelmed and under-resourced. We have to do things different, which first starts with embracing our difference. So until next time, I want you to do one thing for me today. Enjoy the balance of your day, but remember, do it boldly. 